ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Moore and Connolly Football Show. So glad you could join us once again. My name is Tom Moore, your humble host, and joining me as always, it's my good chum, Ollie Connolly. Chumley, chumley. Ollie, how you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm not bad. We've got to pick the energy up. We had a rather sad conversation before we started, so we're back into the show with some energy. Yeah, and back-to-back weeks for us, which is such a rarity. This is amazing. It is. Bringing this back, obviously, if you listen to this, my assumption is you've listened to the NFC preview. This is the AFC preview this season, the second part of our season preview. Uh, If you're tuning into this, then clearly you don't care about most of the original members of the NFL, but never mind. There you go. Obviously, a bit of a um, a post merger child. Uh, <laughs> that was a weird way to start the show. Uh, hey, why are we doing this, Ollie? We're hitting up the listeners. What's this all a part of? This is about me relaunching the Read Optional as a as a subscription newsletter where people can get all kinds of goodness, Tom. They can get football nerdy writing. They can get features. They can join live Zoom sessions where we break down film. They can be part of a football community. They can Ooh. get off Twitter on Sundays and join a discord as they call it and yap away with me and other subscribers and other football nerdy people and discuss football at a higher level, not an intellect, but without all the nonsense that goes on uh, necessarily on a Sunday. So um, that's why we're here. That's why we're here. And obviously you will have found the link if you listen to the first one, but where's that going to be at, Ollie? Uh, the readoptional.substack.com. As you said, it, you are you already on the site somehow. Um, if you listen, <laughs> how have you got here? <laughs> you'd crack the code uh, and you can go to the about page. If you go on the about page, I mean, the, the deal is the deal of a lifetime. I'm not being funny. What I'm doing here is, is giving people so much stuff for so little. It's borderline criminal. It's like, why am I doing it at this price? Why is it only $7 a month, 70 a year? You get three pieces of content, a podcast, two columns, maybe two podcasts, maybe one column, maybe three columns. Every week you can come into my home, into a live Zoom session and watch Florida State's offensive line with me. That's that's wild. Why am I doing this? For fun. Because I need an outlet to discuss nerdy football things. And I want to surround myself with as many interesting, fun people who enjoy the fact that Nick Sirianni is a bit mad and also enjoy the fact that they can discuss why the Patriots are bracketing people and are not coding people as they did in 2016. That's what I want to foster. And we can do that in the Discord and we can do that through here rather than having all the nonsense of social media and Twitter. And the same thing is, you were talking just before we started about why I'm doing this and the finances and all that. And I was saying, well, there's, there's like no money in this. This is purely for fun. I have a job, pays the bills, and I need some stimulation of fun with football, which is going to be doing the read optional. When I was going around to other people, which is the weirdest part of the media industry, you have to go to people and say, are you hiring? Could I have a job? <laughs> you know, and it's like, it's a really strange thing. They don't just like put them on LinkedIn, like we, we need a columnist. That's not a thing that that happens. You either get someone comes to you and asks if you're available or you have to go to them and say, hey, I don't know if you know this, but I'm available, which when you have a set job at a place like The Guardian, no one's coming to you being like, you're available because it's quite clear that you're not. So I went out there, you know, I did the thing cap in hand. I was like, hey, everyone, you know, I'm, I'm up for, I'm scheme writing again. Who wants in? And it's really hard to find a place in the mainstream media, which, you know, is like a buzzword that people on like wacko podcasts or a lot of comedians turned, you know, <laughs> social commentators say it. But I work for a major mainstream media outlet. It's really hard to find somewhere now where there isn't some kind of give and take where it's it's clickbait, which I get. You need people to click on stuff. And a lot of people don't click on a lot of scheme stuff. Fully understand it's a, it's a higher barrier to entry. But it, it's difficult to find a place where they're not 
instantly like it can only be about Aaron Rodgers. You can only write about Josh Allen. There's this give and take of what you can actually do within that writing world. Sounds awesome, Ollie. And um, as you say, you know, it's uh, it's it's not for a pecuniary advantage, this at all. This is about, um, do you like the word pecuniary? I do like pecuniary. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, I got my thesaurus out before the show. Um, it's not about pecuniary advantage, but you can't spill your candy in the lobby. You've got to get something back for the effort that you're putting in. But tell me, when you have these sessions, when you're going to be joined, people are going to join you in your house, what I'm concerned about is are you going to have a camera on at that point in time? Yes. A camera on you? Uh, it depends. I mean, I think you're supposed to, right? The way you see people do this stuff is they have the webcam. I mean, I'm not, I'm not so technically savvy where I'm going to be green screen and all that nonsense, but uh, possibly, maybe, maybe not. I'm not, I've not decided that quite well, yet. I think it depends on, on the, 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 taking the pulse of the subscriber base. You know, if these are all wonderful functioning members of society, then yes, I will get onto the camera. I'm not a very public person as is. I don't. You follow me on Instagram. Have I ever posted on Instagram? I'm, my face no, and if it like, was, it was it was your dog. <laughs> it's only ever my dog. Um, I'm like evaporated. My all my profile pictures are like nine years old. You know, I I don't have a very public facing thing. So I guess maybe that's an incentive, Tom. If they want maybe. to see the evolution of me, then I mean, yes, I will go on webcam for money. That's what you're asking. Only found di- down. Well, well, after your diatribe there, my main concern was, would you be wearing enough clothes? But there you go. <laughs> maybe we are in the realms of OnlyFans. And considering that is a fantastic segue, Ollie, to where we're going to start today, which is the news before we go into an AFC preview, asking the key questions for each of the AFC teams. But you said OnlyFans, Ollie. News, update, dateline, the internet, Right. They are now backtracking. They are now saying, no, they are going to have sex with the explicit content on their site. And they've tweaked or twiddled with, the, well, well, <laughs> people on camera are doing that. But they've tweaked with their terms or something like that. And they, could you believe it? It's just so, like you said last time on the, on the first show, it's bonkers, mate. All of the 90% of their business or something. No wonder they've backtracked. Well, this is, this is all of us. We fell for it, right? That we fell for it. We gave OnlyFans three weeks of the greatest publicity for free imaginable. Mm. Because what they did there was they created a shitstorm that was unnecessary and was never going to happen because, as you said, it's their entire business model. But they got to get into the hands of, uh, let's say, an older generation of potential clientele. They got mm. into their news sources in a way they would not normally be able to get to because the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Guardian, the Times are not allowing ads to be run by OnlyFans about porn, but they will run a story about the fact that one of the biggest online commerce places has decided for no reason to destroy its business, piques the interest. Oh, what's that? And then, oh, guess what? They update the story with, actually, all the porn's back, fellas. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's very clever. I'd not thought of it about that. Ollie, you are a very shrewd, shrewd person. I just thought they made a mess and that they've rectified it, but I didn't see it from that angle. Man, no wonder I suck at business. Right, let's move on to the news, Ollie. I've got three news stories for you today before we get into the AFC, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, right, this first one, I think this is really good because this must be a problem that a lot of reporters face when they're out there doing pieces to camera on live mm-hmm. TV. It says, ITV reporter shouts, I'll fucking bang you out. After man, 
uh, <laughs> after after Man Interrupts broadcast. It's the wording of that as well. Can you imagine if I don't know Hugh Edwards or or you know you know um, somebody was was doing a piece to camera and they just turned around and went, "I will fucking bag you out." It's the phrasing. So that ITV reporter has become the news himself after losing his temper and shouting the aforementioned phrase at a man who he claimed interrupted his piece to camera. Callum Watkinson asked the man if he had a job himself, then suggested it was likely to be either McDonald's or Foot Locker. If so, McDonald's, well, why Foot Locker? Why yeah, that, Foot Locker come to mind? Those are quite extremes, I feel like. He, he seems to be uh, trying to uh, attack this man for having a job as a minimum wage worker, which is the backbone of our society, if I may say that, Tom. As an employee of The Guardian, I'm a big fan of minimum wage workers and all they contribute to the society. I feel like there's a, there's a gulf there between a McDonald's worker and, and a Foot Locker worker. I, I don't see any... Uh, I don't see any relevance between the two. Well, first of all, a McDonald's worker to me, very relevant. Footlocker worker, <laughs> you, know, you know, to be quite honest. Um, it's interesting as well. There's a big, big issue at the moment in this country in terms of, you know, post-Brexit. But there's other things going on here in terms of the overall global economy, particularly around shipping. This is the part of the business that I work in, you see. And shipping costs have gone absolutely through the roof. And it's not just too down to Brexit, there's lots of things. Suez Canal stuff sticks, obviously comes to mind in terms of a recent thing, but there's lots of other um, things at play. But we should start paying the some people who you know are working on a minimum wage more, and they are the backbone of the economy, and then we should start paying other jobs like lorry drivers more because otherwise, well, one, we're not going to have any, and two, it's a bloody difficult job, and it's an important job. Anyway, I'll get off mine. Yeah, and how I do I get my tiger bread? You know, how do us middle-class people, how do we I have know. a bolivant, and how do we have a barbecue on a Sunday if we don't exactly. have enough money? I don't just want hummus. I want the choice of hummus, Mexican hummus, red, red pepper, pepper hummus. Yeah. Man, I've Caramelized never seen so onion much. hummus. <laughs> now, caramelized <laughs> onion hummus is where it's at. Now, that's, that's what really I'm saying right there. Mm-hmm. That is that is the money-making hummus. Um, shit, what happened to us, Ollie? Uh, okay, right. So apparently he said, why don't you go and get a job and I'll come behind you and start being an idiot? Well, first of all, I'm afraid if he worked at Foot Locker or McDonald's, he was at Foot Locker, I don't think it would matter. If he was at McDonald's, you won't be allowed behind the counter. Um, so there you I'll, go. I'll just say on the records for anyone who's listening who may have any kind of sway over my career, I don't think anyone should be going and coming up behind anyone in any sector or any industry. Foot Locker, unless, unless perhaps, whatever, unless, uninvited. Unless... Unless perhaps if they're on OnlyFans, uh, you know, <laughs> then maybe that's appropriate to come up behind. Uh, let's move on to the next story. See, I'm on camera with Ollie now, and he, uh, I think he enjoyed that. Um, Ghost Hunter, this is great because I love things like this because I don't believe in the paranormal. I'm afraid I believe in the rules and laws of physics. Ghost Hunter, quick follow up, just quickly. To, hang on, to which bit? OnlyFans? You don't Ghosts? believe in the paranormal. Do you believe the people who believe in the paranormal? Do they really believe or do you think that they are all, it's all some kind of scam? But where do you think the percentages fall on that? The scam or possibly scamola. Um, I, 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 it's interesting enough, my sister-in-law once had a partner and they were convinced that they could see and talk to ghosts. And it, you know, when you, you listen to someone, you're like, no, this is 100% legit. That's what they believe. I'm just like that. What? Uh, that's just such nonsense that it makes me wonder what's going on in their head. But in terms of, I believe some people are scamming. We had this conversation before, Ollie. Um, and this is what's great about this. We can say whatever we want. We don't have to focus on the fact this is a football show, <laughs> like we said on the last podcast. Like flat earthers and anti-vaxxers and stuff like that. I'm not going to get into the whys and wherefores of, of those things. But the point that I always find difficult, Ollie, is that you're saying whether it's a scam or not, mm-hmm. um, is that 
they the people that are reading these anti-vax things and getting sucked into them are just as much being scammed as they see the vaccine people being the people who are pro-vaccine or pro-spherical uh, earth which is such yeah. a nonsensical thing um that they are being we're being drawn in by the mainstream media and we're yeah. being lied to well you also realize that all the youtube videos and things that you click on and stuff are getting clicks for ads for views to get you know yeah. it's all the, it's the same, same as, thing as, as saying you know we're the sheeple for following uh dr fauci exactly. and they're not sheeple when they all watch ben shapiro it's like well what's the difference that the guy gets a million views on his videos you're all watching the same guy um i was gonna say on the ghost thing you know i don't want to say it's your sister or your sister-in-law i can't remember that Sister, um, sister-in-law's partner mate so no okay can... i don't impute anyone's reputation there, ex, but... ex-partner slag him off to okay, your yeah, well, one, one would hope um if you are walking around in life where you believe to your core you can see ghosts how can you function in any other part of your life because all that you should be doing is talking about the miracle that you can see into the afterlife you mm. should not. I mean, what did he have a regular career? Like he was worked at BMW in the day, and he sees ghosts at night. It's like what? I think um, in the legal profession, I think it. Was. <laughs> How is it possible to just brush your teeth and, and be like, I also have this power to see ghosts? That's that's not a thing. Well, I tell you what, I don't get about it as well is that if if do you have control over this? Because if not, then how many? millions and billions of people have lived on this earth <laughs> you would not be able to move for effing ghosts there would be no space you would be able to think about ghosts. ghosts for some reason always wear victorian dress you never see a caveman ghost you never see marcus aurelius you never see um uh, bernie madoff you know it's there's not a large swath of generations in the ghost community it's just purely victorian era people it's what Ricky Gervais always said about mm. people that believe in reincarnation. You know, everyone was always a, a great warrior or a pharaoh. <laughs> or where are all the where are, he used to say, where are all the Chinese peasants and where are all the serfs <laughs> from the you know that were working the field and died when they were about thirty-two in the sixteen hundreds? Anyway, so here we go. Ghost hunter plunges fifteen to twenty feet as paranormal investigation goes wrong. <laughs> Um, the woman was searching for ghosts at the Buffalo Central Terminal, um, which is supposedly a hotspot for paranormal activity. And she fell 15 to 20 feet while investigating one of the um, city's la- um, landmarks. So interestingly enough, uh, she was taken to a local hospital and treated for multiple injuries. Um, her current condition is not known, but a man hunting ghost with her was not injured. Hmm. So uh, what's going on there? And although maybe <laughs> what's the police's first question. <laughs> Strange. Right. Last news story. Then let's get to the football because, you know, that's what we, we, we're all here for, supposedly. I'm not. Um, OK, this is great. Oh, this is this is classic America. Now, this and that's being harsh. This could happen anywhere. But this for me is a classic American headline. OK. Brace yourselves. If you drive in, stop the car. OK, here we go. Iowa man calls in bomb threat. Wow, serious. Iowa man calls in bomb threat because he didn't get sauce for his chicken McNuggets. (laughs) So police say an Iowa man attempted to get revenge on his local McDonald's um, where that guy was working. (laughs) Yeah, maybe maybe he was a reporter. Maybe he's actually from Iowa. Uh. Um, When he was shafted out of sauce for his chicken McNuggets, but things blew up in his face. Great pun. Fantastic. Um, but then there's a bit about that, but that's that's fine. But then it gives us a little bit of a sprinkling at the end of times where this has happened also in other locations. So it says people have made some really bizarre bogus bomb threats before. For instance, 
In January 2019, a 23-year-old college student from Rennes, Paris, caught a fake bomb threat so he wouldn't have to see his parents. (laughs) 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 And then my favourite one, this is great. Back to the States. In November 2018, a New Orleans man accused of threatening to blow up a local restaurant told police he was referring to a bowel movement. worst date in history (laughs) it will dear oh dear well i suppose some takeaway food will that will do that to you okay right ollie let's Mm. get to the football um let's talk you know before we before we do i'd like to put something out there because people are going to obviously start um if people do go and connect to this show ollie you know i've put my insta out there at uh, the underscore tommy underscore more I want to know, Ollie, if if people want a little bit of flavour, they want a little bit of sauce back, so to speak. They want a little bit of MCFS potentially sprinkled in in the future. Maybe, maybe some event podcasts, maybe every now and then, Ollie. It's something that I want to see if the listeners want it. Do they want it, Ollie? I would hope so. And if they do, then we'll be right here, right? We, we, we've talked about it before and we, we feel like we can do it and we'll do them as these, as you said, these specials and these bonanza shows where we drop in. Maybe once a month, maybe every now and then. Maybe there's a dramatic news story, non-football related, where Tom must give, must extol <laughs> this. Yeah. I was going to ask you, by the way, on your Instagram, how much time do you spend at Trent Bridge? And are you now on first name terms with every single person in and around the facility? Uh, it's You know, it's an interesting point. This is uh, to, to let people behind the curtain here. This, this is sports, so we're covered in the this sports is, yeah. section. So I've always obviously been a big Nottinghamshire cricket fan, born and bred. Um, but uh, I have now um, a very close contact, um, might even be a family member, who is very high up in the non-paid elements of the cricket club, shall we say. So um, awesome. that, yeah, that um, allows me certain uh, opportunities to go to Trent Bridge from time to time, which is very, very nice. And peek behind the curtain there indeed, which is which is fascinating because cricket, I suppose, is quite unlike lots of other sports in terms of how it's run, the money that's involved that isn't as much, um, the, diff- the, the difficulties you have, the way there's the, the, the county cricket, but then the one-day cricket and then the test matches that you get from a central perspective. It's, it's, it's quite a different thing. So it's interesting to see the, the, the issues and the, the mechanisms at, at work there. So that's why I'm there quite often, Oliver. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So anyway. on the MCFS, we are going to do some specials, you reckon? If, if I think there's so. interest, you, you want to see, you want there to be people banging the door down saying, give us more. That's what you're asking for, the virtual door. No one should turn up to Trent Bridge to try and find Tom there. They really should. Any given day. Yeah, they're pretty much steel doors as well. You hurt your hand. Um, yes. So let us know. We would. I'd, I'd love to hear from you on uh, Insta anyway. We'd really love to hear from you and we'll see. It's now it's easier, Ollie, given the pandemic, even though I am having another child very shortly, uh, working at home because I work across several time zones and have a relatively long working day. It means I would normally sprinkle in gaps during the day so I can sprinkle in a podcast perhaps. Okay. Um, let's go on to the AFC, Ollie. Shall we start in the AFC East? Yes. Because if we look out... From the Welsh coast, 
that's the first place that we get to. So maybe that's where we should start. Uh, okay. Can you imagine if, if you headed off as one of those first explorers and you wound up in Buffalo first, that would, you might just turn back around. I'm going to head back home. That was fun. Let's go lose another half of the crew due to scurvy on the way back. Uh, Buffalo okay, is let's... beautiful. Let me say that. Buffalo is beautiful. It's just ice cold, isn't it? It's like, yeah. <laughs> You're as cold as ice. Okay. The Buffalo Bills. Oh, Ollie. It's like, this is the train, isn't it? This is the train everyone's on board this season, I feel, more than anything else, is the Bills train. And I get the hype. I get Josh Allen. I get this is this is a loaded roster. Um, I get they were, you, you know, they were, they were close last time, they, last year, and they will have improved, or at least that's what you'd say. You get more out of the quarterback as well. But the question you wanted to ask, Ollie, was have they addressed their pass rush concerns? Because everybody knows this is the league of quarterbacks, and if you don't have that guy or those guys that can disrupt the quarterback, you're in trouble, even with a great roster that they have. Yeah, that's the big thing for me. You go back to how they've lost out the last two years. You go back to how they've played the Chiefs. I mean, more than any other team in the league, that they have to build themselves to contend with Patrick Mahomes for the next 10 to 15 years. Um, they have, like you said, probably the best foundation of any non-Chiefs team. You could even say that in terms of how they've used their resources, how they've drafted and developed Josh Allen, kind of the undercurrent of the roster, the backbone of the coaching staff too, and, and how everyone's now getting pulled away, that that is maybe the best setup in the entire league. The problem is that there's this once in a lifetime player that they're going to have to go through for the next decade. And so you got to try and find a way to disrupt him. And when they've played Mahomes the last two times, I mean, he has just torched them. They're not even mm. getting close to him because they just can't get any kind of rush. And the Chiefs, though they've had defensive issues on, on their own, they're certainly able to simulate and create more pressures off just kind of blitz looks, zone blitzes, that type of thing, and get situational pressure when needed and maybe get off the field on, on third down two or three just... times. Let me just ask you, Ollie, then, is that the way to beat Mahomes? Pressure. beat Mahomes, I don't know. I mean, the only way to beat Mahomes is obviously to, to destroy the line. We saw Tampa Bay. If you can just implode it on every single snap, then you've got, you know, that's how you do it. But there's probably only three teams in the league right now who could do that, which would be that Steelers nickel package, which has the ludicrous Watt, Haywood, Ingram, that group to it, that, that group that is just unlike anyone else. The, uh, the books, if Indomitian Sue is still playing at Indomitian Sue level, um, and then if Aaron Donald just decides to go Hulk mode and do it, do it on its own. So you really need a special group. And what I admire about the Bills, that they, they've taken in the, with their last three high picks, the, the two ones and the two, three pass rushes in a row. But I really respect Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott being like, we don't know. Like usually, you know, teams like, oh yeah, we've addressed the pass rushes. They're like, we don't know. We took three swings on pass rushes because we know we need it. We're not sure about any of them. Maybe, maybe not. And we'll see. I was actually, I was thinking about this earlier. I spoke to Sean McDermott when he was with the Panthers as their DC. And um, this we can do this now because it's buying their payroll. He was quite an arrogant arsehole in a way that was, you get this a lot with coaches, particularly if their team's having some degree of success. I figured it out that this way, mm. this generation of football, my, you know, my philosophy coincides perfectly with this generation of football. And here we go. And it's all set. And it's been fascinating to watch his development as he's become a better coach, more well-rounded. He's a head coach for a very good team now where he could easily, you know, go in, on background to people and say, well, if I had Patrick Mahomes, you know, we'd be, we'd be winning, you know, five Super Bowls. Andy's not that great. Uh, or this is the year we're going to put it together and all this stuff. And to see him be more reserved and be like, I really don't know. I really like our team. I think we're great. We've done a good as job as possible. But I got these three pass rushes and none of them have popped yet. You know, you got Espinosa, mm. you got Russo. They drafted Basham this year. 
I kind of need one of those guys to do me a solid cook <laughs> one of those guys yeah. turn up and play. And then I'll get all the credit for being the genius, but it's really over to one of these three guys. And so it's been fascinating to watch him, him grow in that sense. Um, I think it's interesting. It's probably not much of a point, but I think it's interesting to see someone grow like that. So, yeah, I, I mean, they just need some kind of pass rush. And it's going to have to come from one of those three guys, because if you go last season, yeah, I'll give you a test. So let me just pull up quickly. Uh, Uh-oh. Who, test. Who, who led the Bills in sacks last year? Oh, God. I No idea. No I, can't, I, I can't imagine it. I probably, they probably ended up what, getting like four and a half sacks or something yeah. like that. Hello. Look at that. AJ Klein, five, which is just a little bit more. But so you got AJ Klein, who's their middle linebacker and is 30 years old. It's just nowhere near good enough. And it's not necessarily that you need a guy who's going to get 12 sacks a season. Their system is built more around coverage anyway and then rallying to the ball. But you do need someone who you can go into Arrowhead Stadium for the AFC title game and be confident that if they don't get it exactly right, this guy's walking away with two sacks. And if you can get mm. one of them on second down and put them in third and longer, one on third down, we might go to the Super Bowl. And that's what they're looking for. I think it's a big ask of those three guys that Espinosa, Russo, and Basham as mentioned before. But they need one of those guys to have that kind of juice off the edge. I want to indulge the Bills just for another 30 seconds, Ollie. Um, and throw out a provocative question. Let's play devil's advocate. Is Josh Allen overhyped? No, I don't think so. I think what, what you are certainly seeing is a collective, like we whiffed massively on crushing this guy. And we fell into the old timey notion of quarterbacks can't develop accuracy and all that. And to be fair, it's not like he throws the ball more accurate than he did before. His guys are wide open. Having Stefan Diggs makes everyone look amazing yep. because the guy is a freak show. Um, I think it's more of like he was crushed so hard coming out of college, you know, the whole thing. He's not even the best Josh Allen in the draft, the guy who went to the Jags and yeah, all yeah. that stuff. That there's like a push the other way. And we all love narratives. The the underdog story of the guy who he played in the pro setup in college and he was bad in college. I mean, we should not be rewriting history. He was bad. You know, they drafted a bad player. And there's this Phil Sims effect of like Phil Sims was terrible in college and became the face of the Giants and that it's in the same media market and the same people who kind of went through that or know the story from their parents that, that they're viewing the same thing. I think he's such a special dynamic player and it's just more fun to see a guy who is Aaron Rodgers on third down and might be a bit iffy on first and second down and making some quick decisions because he's still going to throw the ball 14 yards on third down running around. I think he's, you know, if you had to say, we're playing on Sunday against any defense in the league. Who do you want? I would probably go Mahomes, Rogers, Wilson, Allen. Okay, I like it. Um, so let's take a win total, Ollie. I'm going to throw it out there first, and we're a 17 game season now. I think this is going to be a 13 win team. I agree with you. I think they're going to, I don't think they'll walk the AFC East. I think their games head to head against the Patriots will be fascinating. Um, but when we get to the end of it, I think 13 wins is spot on. It's interesting. After our last show, Ollie, I went and um, I put in my calendar all the Packers uh, games. <laughs> and so I was going through, I was going, oh shit, actually, this is a really tough schedule. I'm not sure my win projection for the Packers, which was quite on the high side, was right. Um, let's Absolute murderers row. Let's move to the New York Jets, Ollie. Um, and obviously, the question with the Jets is why it's Salah, but also it's Zach Wilson. Can he be the guy, Ollie. Uh, I think there's a real chance. I think this could be the one. It's been fascinating watching how they've tried to bring him along developmentally, and they've kind of bought into that Josh Allen, Justin Herbert mindset where the league has changed a little bit. You see this in preseason with Mac Jones and some of the other young rookies you see with Trevor Lawrence, 
where the old fashioned way of developing a quarterback used to be, well, if we have the rhythm passer, the pro ready guy, you know, who hits the back foot, gets the ball out. And he knows that the ball has to be out on his fifth drop. And it has to hit seven yards down the field on the inside shoulder on this specific dig concept then, you know, that's perfect. That's the guy we want and we'll have him year one. And if we get one of these Aaron Rodgers guys or Patrick Mahomes, we'll, we'll teach him that stuff. You know, the guy who's the freelancer, the improvisa- improvisational guy. We'll box that up. We'll teach him all the other advanced stuff behind the scenes. This happened with Colin Kaepernick, if you remember. They were like, well, he doesn't even know how to move his feet. So we'll keep him behind the scenes for a year. And then when he's ready with the rhythm stuff, we'll release him to the world and he can add on all that running around and fun stuff. As you've seen with Josh Allen and Justin Herbert, the league's kind of going the other way now where it's like, well, it's easy to just say, why don't you run around and make some plays? And over time, we'll teach the advanced stuff behind the scenes. That seems easier. At least you can evade the rush. You see with Trevor Lawrence in the preseason, when you're the rhythm passer and three-fifths of your offensive line is missing because they're being rested and you're just getting crushed and you can't get the ball out, well, then what can you do? What is the point of that? Um, And you can't teach the escapism anyway. You may as well just throw them out there and say, why don't you just run around and try and throw to open players? And then as we get towards the end of the season and you start asking me, how come the safety's cheating like that? It's like, oh, wonderful, Zach. Let's sit and have a meeting. Yeah, here's why the safety cheats down. It'll make the game easier for you. So it's interesting to see teams do that. And the Jets were like, we're not even having a veteran in the building. Remember through OTAs, they were like, they had no one. It was just Mike White and Zach Wilson. No one to even tell him how to pack his bag or what to watch on (laughs) film or all the stuff that is very basic at the NFL level. You almost always have the old guy, right? And they got towards the end of training camp. They're like, maybe we should bring in Johnson to explain to him that when we're going on a road trip, you pack for two weeks and not for one week. You know, (laughs) tell him this stuff. Um, So they finally done that. But I just think watching him preseason, you you see it, right? There's almost the it oh, factor yeah. of the slingshot release, the Mahomesian style, the ability to just move around and make a play. And that's so much where the league is at now. And you will hopefully over three, four, five years, like Josh Allen, be able to build in more of that advanced, complex, structured stuff. But instead of trying to bottle a guy and then you know release some of the freelancing, now it's like, well, let's just release him and we'll, we'll kind of pair it down as we go along. So... Uh, they're not as loaded as the charges were to have that Herbert style years last year. But I think long-term, how could you be anything but encouraged by a guy who does not look that fussed by pressure, who is happier running around and throwing the ball anywhere and has just the most ludicrous arm you could ever imagine. It's it's a great arm. I watched the Packers Jets preseason game and you definitely saw flashes in there where you thought, you know, this guy's got some, this guy's got something like the Jordan Love doesn't, you know, when mm-hmm. I know Jordan Love wasn't playing in that game, but if I think about the first game, you know, there's, there's a massive difference, but he that's does. Actually, that's, a, that's a wonderful oh, comparison. I'm glad you brought that up because you what you see with Jordan Love is him trying to think about everything he's been taught behind the scenes. It's why there's such a delay in his reactions. He's not playing instinctive football. He's, he's dropping back and he's going, okay, I have to read the buzz and the buzz means on this and suddenly bang. <laughs> so, okay. Whereas, you know, in two, three years, you would hope it would just be ball out. If they just played him right away, he would be playing raw on, oh my God, ball out. And the, the league is allowing guys to do that now in a way they did not do for the longest time outside of really like RG3 and stuff, which was like, just get out there and throw to an open player. And we've got 17 weeks here to teach you how to look safeties off and how to read the coverage pre-snap and post-snap. Just go out there and fling the ball. And I feel like the Jets, you know, it's given credit, have said, we're going all in on that philosophy. Maybe it bombs. Maybe it ends up being Sam Donald again, who was not ready, and we just got him beaten to the ground, and we just had to pull the ripcord and go get the next guy. But we've got four years before the fifth-year extension. Let's use every single week to give him a chance to learn. 
I love it. I love it. So do we want to give the Jets a win total? Um, what do you want? You go first on this one. It's tough because it is so much on Wilson. I know we, we don't like just boiling it down to quarterbacks, particularly with the rookies. You have to, though. And I feel like he's going to be maybe the most wow player where it doesn't translate to wins because the other seven players were pretty crap. I, I see it being quite up and down, though. I think we're going yeah. to see stuff that you wouldn't have seen from Sam Darnold, like to a great extent. But then we're also going to see stuff where he he, he misses some guy. In, you know, he, yeah, he, you he, know throw, he throws an interception where you look at it and you kind of go, what was he looking at? My, my <laughs> thing would more be not even inception of that thing. You know, is everyone's talking about this connection with Corey Davis, which does look excellent. But that thing of like the receiver goes inside, the ball flies outside, and they're all throwing their hands up. Like, how can you broke inside? And, you know, the ball went outside. Uh, right. That type of thing where it's just like not on the right page and suddenly we're in third and seven every single every single drive. I can certainly see that being the case. The one thing that's underrated with them is their line is loaded. I mean, Mackay mm. Becton is a beast. Morgan Moses is excellent. I like Van Tugger. I think he can step in the league right away and be good. McGovern's a decent enough center, particularly with what they want to do, which is clobber climb and all that type of stuff. Um, so I, I think they could be. I think they're going to be a, one of those teams that we said this on the last show where at the end of the season, you get all these stat packs where it says like they had seven games. They only lost by, you know, single digit points. They were right there, you know, the, but they only won four games, but the, here come the Jets. Um, so I, I could see that. It, it, it is, by the way, on the defensive side of the ball, such a learning curve for what that defense has to learn with Robert Sala because a lot of teams now, we'll get into this with the Patriots a bit, they're almost teaching positionless football with how they draw up the defense. Salah is not about that life. He's like, you are my nose tackle. You're the Leo. Mm. You clog this lane, you clog that. So I think it's going to take time for them to, to come along defensively. And that's almost like a two, three-year project of getting his right guys for that system before they're really good. So uh, let's give them five wins. Oh, five seems cheap, isn't it? Uh, let's give them six wins, but they're really competitive and they have some of the best games of the season. Yeah, I was actually going to go four. I was actually yeah. going to do them dirty, but let's see what happens anyway. Um, the Dolphins, Ollie. The Dolphins often feel like a forgotten franchise to me, slightly. Do you know what I mean? Even though they are one of the most high-profile franchise, franchises in the, in the NFL uh, and a large fan base in the UK. And this this team's going to roll with Tua, uh, you know how's that how's that going to work? Because he needs to be better, Ollie. Yeah, I think that hip injury was not discussed enough because mm. Tua, as much as any player, is has been a hip thrower throughout his career. There is no, you know, the old fashioned footwork thing which you still see people write like this, which is funny because the game is really play like this anymore. Of hitting the back foot and driving through that foot, and all you know, the footwork must be timed to the route, and that you drive off that back foot and then follow over, and the ball should rip out almost like that Dan Marino style. Now it's all just about the hip, it's just rolling your hip over and generating as much torque and power from it as possible. And so, two has never had the biggest arm, and it looked particularly weak last season. Um, he didn't have the greatest skill talent around him, and they've certainly upgraded that this year with the draft and we're bringing in Will Fuller. Um, and I think you will see much more of which was the Alabama style, which is can you just spread as much people out as possible, get me as much space as possible, and I'll just dink and dunk down the field and you guys can, can take it off and almost try and play a Tom Brady ball but from 2013 onwards where it was just first down, first down, first down, and we score on every – we're kicking the ball on every single drive. We were getting a field goal or we're scoring touchdowns. Um, and I think that potential is in there. I do have real concerns about the size. I was it's still the most jarring thing to me that he looks really small on the field, which I just don't love. And I don't think their offensive line is very good, which is a concern. But I, 
I think having any kind of judgment on him from that first year when he is such a hip dominant thrower and he obliterated his hip in a way where they were worried he might not be able to play the sport again should give him at least a year. You know, there's always the rookie year that you should get anyway. Not everyone's Justin Herbert right out of the box, but specifically when you have to retune your entire mechanics from throwing the ball from the age of 14 because you lost the thing that you use the most in your throw, I think we've got to give him some time. So, um, Help, help, not- help me out. Hang on, help me out with this small thing, right? Because we were mm-hmm. just talking about Zach Wilson, and he's not the biggest guy in the world. No. What's the difference there? Uh, there isn't really, and in fairness, two is stouter than than Zach Wilson. I mean, mm. this is this is not, this is a, an opinion. This isn't like any kind of uh, fact or anything. It's just my own eyes and the way I look at him. I go, oh man, he looks. He doesn't look very big, and I think it's because he, it's it's the combination of well, he doesn't look very big. He's not a dynamic athlete, and he doesn't have a great arm. So how many of those guys have really worked out? And we just have Chase Daniel here, you know? I mean, it's not and, a great combo. And, and Baker Mayfield's this, the same way, and Baker Mayfield has been really effective. So Tua could be Baker Mayfield, and we could have this, this new era of guys who don't have the biggest arm, who are kind of field general guys, where it is Tom Brady-ish. Brady's just a big guy, you know, 6'5 and whatever, where it is just no huddle, tempo, and ball out, 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 out. And I can move a little bit to create on the move, not create, not, you know, not move to run. So to me, Baker and Tua fit that same profile of player, and it's just whether you can put it together or not. And are you good enough and accurate enough? Tua is crazy accurate and efficient. That's that's why he was drafted where he was. So we'll see. I say it's just it's just a visual thing for me. If you don't have one of those three things where you're either giant, faster than everyone else, or have a huge arm, that that just gives me a bit of like, well, what is your elite skill set then? Hmm. Round us out on the Dolphins. Then, what? Any more thoughts on this team? No, not particularly. I think they're going to be really good on defense. They have been the entire time. Brian Flores is there. They're they trying to get some kind of pass rush going. Um, we'll see that they're still trying to manufacture that. They don't kind of have an elite level pass rusher, which is coming from that Belichick tree. It's something they don't really do, right? It's just, it's more about coverage and it's more about linebacker play than it is about having an elite pass rusher. So um, we'll see. I I, I, th- I like them. I think that they can win 10, 11 games. My only, beyond two of the concern is that O-line is just, I just think it's very good, but I still think they could win 10 games and be competitive for the division. It's a 17-win season that's messing with my understanding yeah. of, of where to pitch wins. I'd go nine, but I, I can see where you're coming from, Ollie. Um, I'm, I'm not sure. It's this division as well, actually. They're going to get games. They're going to get them off the Jets. They might get them off, you know, going to get them off the Patriots, probably not off the Bills. Um, okay, let's go 10. Let's go 10 wins. And let's move on to those New England Patriots, Ollie. Your New England Patriots. Everybody everybody obviously knows that. Um, we're in the, you know, post-Tom Brady era now. It's cold. It's chilly. There's people walking the streets dressed in rags, pushing shopping carts with empty boxes in. <laughs> but now uh, the time of cam i feel is is going and i'd be really interested ollie who starts week one because i've been listening to some stuff recently and again my knowledge is all second hand so it comes but the variety of sources that i do listen to and again it's second hand and they are biased and and um they're all designed to promote their own narrative or whatever but the it seems like mac jones might be belichick's guy from week one yeah, which I, if you had told me that after the draft, I would have been blown away. I, I was thinking even as soon as week three, I, I do think it's the one competition in the league that is drive to drive in a way that no others are, that he might just give it to Cam because 
He's the veteran guy. They talked him into coming back. He did everything they asked him. He got the surgeries. You know, he's the year removed from the main surgery, but he got everything they asked him to do outside the vaccine. Um, you know, he did <laughs> for what the team asked him to do. And I don't think that vaccine thing is a small part, by the way, because the reports were they were really disappointed in him for having to miss these five games of practice because he botched the protocol of where he got a test, basically. It wasn't that he popped for having COVID, but he, he messed up where he was supposed to get his test for the day and it meant he lost five days of practice, which really annoyed them. So, and I think that they were trying to give him the currency of a veteran and say, well, you know, classic rah-rah football guy, you know, the young guy has to beat the job, he has to win the job, you know, he has to beat out the veteran. And then if, he, if Cam played against the Dolphins and even had a couple of ropey drives, they would have mm. pulled him, I think. Um, and then maybe after a couple of weeks, right, it's like it's just not working. They'd go to, to Mac Jones. But like you said, Jones has been so spectacular in preseason in terms of his efficiency and it just looking similar to the, the end break yep. days, which is the yep. snappy release, getting the ball out, so accurate, processing things so quick. And I know it's all bland and, and vanilla in preseason, but there is just kind of look to it where the ball is out instantly. There is no delay. He's not processing something and reading a deep coverage. He's just reading it and getting it out really fast. That, that, that I think they would like that. The only thing I can think of is where Cam has a chance, particularly up against the Dolphins in that week one game, is Belichick is happy to play grind-out football, and they have the best offensive line in the league. They have by far the best run offensive line in the league. They are giant, and they have the best off-the-bus line in the league. Those guys are all 6'6", giant, giant people. The inside of the line is massive, and they can just maul people on the ground. So maybe there's a way where he's like, well, for the first week, I'd like to just maul a team anyway you know, play good, run the ball, play defense, kick it, all that stuff, which Belichick has done many, many times in his career. And I don't want to go against a, a Brian Flores defense where he kind of knows all our signals and checks. And so, when you know, asking Mac Jones to run a complex system against a very complex Dolphins defense where they're moving a ton at the line of scrimmage, that might not even be the best matchup. And so he might go matchup based the first couple of weeks and then put Mac Jones in, but would not be at all surprised if he just started him because it sounds like he's just flat out beating him out in camp. He just throws the ball better, sees it better, reads it better, is more on page with the offense they want to run. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if I was a Patriots fan, I'd be excited. And what about this roster as a whole, Ali? I think it's excellent. I mean, that you know, they spent all that money in the offseason. He paid for, for pieces that he wouldn't ordinarily pay for. You know, he got fed up with trying to draft tight ends. He wants to go back to a two tight end system. He's like, stuff it, I'm just going to go sign two of them. And there is certainly feel that he's almost at the end of his line. So he's like, well, I'm just going to go, you know, do a ton of guaranteed money. And you can make the economics case that because the, the league had lost so much money and the cap was suppressed and he had all this cash that was a market inefficiency to spend money as opposed to holding it in reserve. I'm not so sure that seems like trying to make an argument to support Belichick's genius when it's more likely he's just like, I've only got two or three years left here. So can I have a competitive team, please? Um, I think that the key thing for them is getting the players back, is getting Dante Hightower back from the opt-out, is bringing Kyle Van Noy back for nothing. Um, they missed that so massively. I remember I was going through the Super Bowl run recently, and they were playing this 5-0 odd front, which is just five guys down the line of scrimmage and everyone else is a defensive back. And the two guys that were down there, you'd have three down linemen, you'd have Hightower and Van Noy. And I was talking to you before about how Salah teaches the defense. Belichick teaches that front specifically as everyone learns every role. It's some, it's X's on a chalkboard. It's very like childlike teaching because anyone can go anywhere on any, but we're running the same five concepts. It's just so much easier to learn that we can all play anywhere, but we only have to know five things. So if I'm here, I know this responsibility as opposed to I'm always the left end that he's always the outside backer and all that stuff. 
And I think they lost so much of that when they didn't have Hightower one, who's always been a signal caller. And Van Noy's versatility is bonkers. You know, they built to rush, be the forced edge defender or, and to drop into coverage. I, I think he missed that and he wasn't able to play six DBs the same way he would have wanted to last season because he didn't trust those middle linebackers who could go up towards line of scrimmage and play off the ball. So getting those two back, I think, completely transformed them defensively and allows them to do everything he wants to do, which is just play with 60 Bs on every down um, and be a pure coverage team. So I, I would be really bullish on them defensively. I think the only concern defensively is, is if your offense just takes you out of it because you have to play so many extra drives and all that type of stuff um, to turn the ball over, all that type of thing. But I would be really surprised if they did not have a top 10, top five defense this year, particularly with the way Matt Judon's played in preseason as like a true edge rusher for them that they've not had for the longest time. So the rest of the roster around, I mean, they have the best offensive line in the league. They could have an elite caliber defense, at least certainly a top 10 and one that will definitely turn the ball over a ton. There's not really much, what more could you ask for? You know, so it really is, if they can get, that's where they have this difficult decision with Cam is like, they could just play, run the ball, grind out, win 13 to seven and probably win 10 games because the Ross is so much better than last year and they were able to muddle together to the seven wins last season. But you think the potential is that they could win more games with Matt Jones? I think so. And I think that's the way they'll be feeling, certainly at least by week three. And it, and it sounds like it's going to be from week one. So what are you calling their win total? Uh, I'll give them 10 wins. I'll take that. I'll take that. It's quite a competitive division this, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, I was going to say, I don't think it's physically possible for the Bills to have no. in them out 10. You know, it's what it is. But I, I think they're going to be good. I think... The, they'll be in every single game for sure. I love it. I love it. New look Patriots, although old look Patriots, actually, <laughs> just with a new quarterback. Um, okay, let's I think, move I on. I think they're really underrated. I got to say, I, I think that, I mean, there's this Stefan Gilmore situation. You got to lock that down um, as well. I don't know what they're going to do there. People have forgotten about them, Molly. People have gone, Brady's gone. It's, it, do you know what I mean? And they've gone, right, yeah. I'm not even going to think about them now. And that's just not how these things work, you know? Well, it's um, interesting that you have, in the NFC, this idea that, well, the Saints could start Garoppolo and be okay and maybe go to the Super Bowl. They've got a great roster. Or they could start Trey Lance and really push their ceiling and almost acting like the rookie is at least going to be good and maybe amazing, whereas the Patriots, their roster is loaded. If you go through position mm-hmm. group by position group, find me a better O-line, you won't do. Find me a better defensive back core, you will not find a better one anywhere. Maybe the Steelers, but I would prefer those outside corners because Stefan Gilmore is still one of the best outside corners in the game and he can play inside outside. Tight end room, find me two as good as that. That's really hard to do. The running back room, they've got so much depth. They just throw Sonny Michelle away and say whatever. I mean, they are loaded. I don't like the Tolly. I don't like it. I don't want them to come back. Let's move on. Let's go to the AFC West, which is often seen now as a kind of... Um, the hit division, you know, the, the interesting one, because obviously the, the Chiefs, we've got the Chargers in there as well. We'll get them to them in a moment. Let's start with the let's start with the Chiefs. And your question here you wanted to ask is, have they upgraded their offensive line enough? Because we were just talking, weren't we, about getting pressure on Patrick Mahomes. So is that the only weakness here for the Kansas City Chiefs? Yeah, that's the key one. And you got to give them credit because how many times have we had a mean guard? You don't have to tell you this is a Packers fan where there's like a deficiency on the team and, and the team says, well, we'll address this over time and we'll draft one guy one year, then we'll sign a free agent the next year, then we'll draft the yeah. guy again the next year because the first guy isn't quite working out yet and the free agent guy got injured. The chief said, bleep all of that, all the chips into the middle of the table right away. Our offensive line is not good enough. 
We're going to trade our first round pick to get Orlando Brown. We're going to make Joe Tooney probably the best guard in the league, the highest paid guard in the league. We're going to bring LDT out from his COVID opt-out where he was actually working to battle against COVID. We're going to draft Creed Humphrey. Trey Smith, who would have been a first round pick, but he has a heart um, condition dating back to his freshman year in college. They they said, well, we'll take him. (laughs) You know, Let's get insurance policy, I guess. You know, we'll yeah. have them. Um, they take Trey Smith. They bring Kyle Long out of retirement. They use every avenue possible, free agency, trade, draft, bringing guys out of retirement to say, figure it out. There's all the pieces. Give us something. Yeah. And so, you know, Andy Heck, the old line coach, says, been with Andy Reid now, I think 23, 24 years, something like that. Considered one yeah. of the most outstanding goal line coaches in the league. It's a real challenge. You got to try and put all those pieces together. Where on paper you've got so much talent with Brown and um, uh, and Tooney in particular, and now go figure out. And I say this to you all the time that coaches would rather have the uh, consistency than they'd rather have just raw talent. If you just gave them the five best players, they'd be like, "Well, give me the five guys who played together for three years," because you learn all the nuances of you know on on this drop, on this specific concept. This guy gets beat early in the rep. This guy gets beat late. This guy pulls better to his left, so let's run power more to that side. You learn all these little uh, idiosyncrasies that, that allow you to just be so much more ahead of the game as you get towards the playoff time. So maybe that, that group takes a while to coalesce and it's not so good. First five, six weeks of the season, we're sat here in a moment doing a podcast saying, what's up with the Chiefs, man? What's going to happen? And they get really rolling by the end of the season. I, I could certainly see that being the case. On paper, it's an outstanding group and they've done an unbelievable job of upgrading again. It's just whether or not it will come together. The only other issue I can see is their receiver depth. It seems that they've said, you know, they've got Kelsey and Hill, which is the best one-two punch anywhere in the league. It's embarrassing they have players that good around that quarterback. But after that, you know, they missed on Juju Smith-Schuster. And you look at the rest of the roster and it's really thin. And it seems to me they've said, well, if we keep Patrick upright, everyone will be good. Or maybe we find mm-hmm. a guy on the trade market in week seven, or a guy gets cut for doing something wrong in another place, or he's out of shape, and we'll bring that guy in in free agency at some point. Um, that seems to be their philosophy of like, well, just guys will be open if Patrick is upright long enough, and he'll figure it out. Um, so that's the only thing, you know, if, they, if one of Hill or Kelsey goes down, they, they might be in a bit of bother. But other than that, I mean, this should be the favorite for the Super Bowl. Really? You're calling it like that? I mean, any, you know, for the next 10, 15 years, he's he's the best thrower of a football in a league that's all about throwing footballs now. Yeah, it's just The only thing that undid them last year was they got their heads caved in up front and they've said, okay, we'll go address it. Well, that's what you need to do, isn't it? Um, wins then? What are you talking? How, how many are we talking? I, I You know, I think I, I would pick them to win the whole thing, but I would pick them to have maybe 12, 13 wins. I do think that line could take some time to come together and I'll probably look silly in four weeks when they're, four and oh and it looks like they might go undefeated but um I, i'm gonna say there's gonna be a point in the season when there's panic and consternation around like what's going wrong and then when they're holding the lombardi trophy at the end of it all we all feel silly yeah true panic on the streets of kansas okay let's go with that <laughs> let's go to a team at the other end of the spectrum ollie yep. the raiders now this seems to be somewhat of a di- d- dysfunctional organization ollie and the question that you've called out here is what the hell's going on with mike mayock and it's sad to me because Mike Mayock was this guy that when he was on NFL media and he was doing his, I just, I could listen to him for hours. I loved him. He seemed like the smartest guy in the room. What the hell happened, man? Well, it's important to note that he's not making these decisions, right? John Gruden is the, um, true is the man in charge of all. And they kind of work together. And I mean, they'd certainly have this 
this philosophy that that works with one another of the, the classic lunch pail guy and we're going to be tougher than everyone and all this stuff and we care about things like was the guy a captain on his high school team and a captain on his college team and if he was a captain then wasn't the next year he's off our draft board you know it doesn't matter mm. how good he might be and all that stuff so i don't know i mean they have routinely gone for guys that is just like these are our guys alex leatherwood 17th overall who has looked fantastic in preseason by the way but almost every team in the league had a second round grade on they were like bleep it we're taking him 17th henry rugs they take 12th and we can dig deep into rugs if you want because that's a that's a fascinating situation our net they took 19th no one else had him in the first round clearly feral they take fourth overall as a pass rusher and you can't rush the passer seems like a problem Jacob's <laughs> 24th is just a running back in the first round most guys don't do that jonathan abram they took a 20 seventh and now they're drafting more safeties because they just are out on abram seemingly colton miller they took a 15th when no one else had a first round grade on him really and he's actually turned out to be pretty good so that they've had all these swings at these top top picks and it's either been a reach which immediately sets kind of your expectation against the media you who are the guys who build the outside pressure because it's just not really working out to have that many draft picks of first round guys and to only have one guy who's probably an all pro player is is a bit of a whiff. And then he went about dismantling that O-line this offseason, which is the only thing that you would really point to with the Raiders and say, well, the thing that at least they've got settled is they got Trent Brown, monster right tackle, Rodney Hudson, one of the league's best guards for the last 10 years, Gabe Jackson in the conversation of being one of the league's best centers. And they just decided we're ripping that whole thing down. And we're hiring the O-line coach who is the most... um, uh, belittle though line coach in the league and we're going to give him all new young tools to work with and that should be good and that gives me real real concern yes i would be deeply concerned about uh, about the raiders um just 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 one thing though on on car doesn't get the love i think that he deserves no not from his own organization i mean every time that i mean john gruden had that amazing quote and there's a long athletic piece about russell wilson when he wanted out of seattle and you've never heard someone slather over another human being, the way John Gruden discussed Russell Wilson. And you've got him basically inviting every quarter. Just this is not suspicious at all. There's no tampering in the league. John Gruden, you know, he's also a personality, Tom, mm, as well as just so happens to run a franchise. So when he has a charity invitational golf opening and he just happens to invite Deshaun Watts and Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, and all the guys who are available on the trade mm-hmm. market. There's nothing suspicious whatsoever. He really likes yeah. Derek Carr. Derek Carr's his guy. He just, you know, Aaron Rodgers is good at golf, man. Come on down. Um, so, I mean, they have been sniffing around every big deal in the league. And there's really an implication with them where they're like, we know. And it seems to be, honestly, a gentleman's handshake agreement of like, we all know the deal. You're probably the 11th, 10th best guy in the league. We'd like to get a top three guy. Cool. And yeah. they all seem to be like, yeah, he wants to stay there until that happens. And they'll, they'll stick with him until... They can land one of those guys. Mm-hmm. Okay, win total for the Raiders. I think it has a chance to be rough. <sighs> no, I was going through their schedule because poor Alex Leatherwood, this tackle, who, like I said, he's, he's looked brilliant in preseason. In fairness, but this is who they have to go through in the opening five games of the season: the cool. Ravens, Steelers, Dolphins, Chargers, and Bears. Right. All of those guys have either an All Pro pass rusher or a group that finished in the top ten in pressures in twenty twenty. So that line is going to get worked and that could easily be one and four to open the season. And then they're in a very real hole. So I, I think they win six or seven games again, something like that. Six feels about right to me, mm-hmm. but maybe I'm thinking that in, in terms of it, five or six. I definitely they, go they, lower they have, on the six. They have real bottoming out potential. 
where they, you know, oh, they, yeah. can't, they can't fire Gruden because they've got no money. And the fact that, I don't know if you saw this, but their president had to leave because they weren't paying their tax. Yeah. <clears throat> so Mark Davis, the man who has the smallest bank account in the league, including the players, you know, he's now got the yeah. IRS on him and he's not going to be able to fire his coach who's got, well, he must still have six years left on that deal. It is bonkers deal. But it has a real chance to bottom out there in Vegas. Okay. Let's move on to the Los Angeles Chargers. A lot of excitement about the Chargers after last season. Um, obviously, we saw that fantastic play from Justin Herbert. He's got some new pieces as well, including taking Corey Lindsley over from Green Bay, which should be an interesting addition to that line. Um, but what's Brandon Staley going to bring to the Chargers, Ollie? Innovation. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting with him how much he's got a lot of publicity, rightly so, for kind of bringing stuff from the lower, lower reaches of college football. So John Carroll, you're talking 2A football, like semi-pro football up to the, the big level and say, well, I'm just going to still run my stuff because I think this is where football's going. And when you have Aaron Donald, Jalen Ramsey, and those pieces that everything you run looks pretty good, a lot of what he's doing is just what Vic Fangio has done his entire career, which is what they call a gap and a half scheme, which is hard to describe in a podcast, but you're one gapping most of the place, and then you kind of, not two gap, but one and a half gap. It's about where you set your body position, really. What they're trying to do is make you force you to run the ball by luck and then swallow the run and put you in long down and distances. And he's doing all kinds of creative stuff, six, one fronts, tight fronts, big nickel, all this kind of really nerdy creative stuff to just get the best possible defensive look possible. Um, what, what I think is so interesting about Staley compared to Fangio or any of the guys running similar college style things at the pro level is his ability to change week to week was unlike anyone else is they would just have one new thing every week basically and run that as base for the week so one week it's three safeties the next week it's the six one front there's very little of i'm do i'm putting you know 100 things in an in install in the off season and we'll dabble them all in throughout the, the, the season it seems as though it was like this week we're running lock coverages it's man on one side of the field it's zone on the other if they figure out in the third quarter you guys better win your matchups but it's going to take them probably two and a bit to be like what's happening here we've not seen this on tape all season that is kind of the way he ran things uh, with the rams and they had that monster defense last year now it's inter- it'll be interesting to see whether the league has kind of caught up with that and plans mm. for all of it um whether he can keep innovating to go beyond it but he, he had almost mcveigh um, type impact which was the specific play calling rather than philosophy he was just seemed to be ahead of everyone constantly on the field as opposed to it being like McVeigh's unlocked some cool new scheme it's just McVeigh's the best play caller you know he's not doing anything different than John Gruden's doing he's just better at calling the plays on a, on a snap-to-snap basis so I'm fascinated to see how it works I think getting Nick Bosa and Derwin James is as good a one-two base you could say to build any scheme you want in the league so um We'll see. Uh, I'd be excited about as a Chargers fan for sure. I mean, to have that young quarterback and that young coach is pretty brilliant base. It's great times, isn't it, for the Chargers? What are you calling in terms of a win title? Uh, I think they um, do they regress a little bit. Maybe I don't know if you can expect Herbert to play that level again. It was so it was pretty incredible, to, yeah, to see a rookie play like that and to be so much better when pressured and all that type of stuff. Is that just a fluke? You know, is that a skill? I guess we'll find out. Um, I'll give them seven wins. Okay. Okay. I like that. Seven or eight. I'd go down with that. I'm cool with that. Let's move on. 17 to... wins, 17 game season, isn't it? They have done it. Eight. Eight, eight or wins. nine. Eight wins. Eight or nine. Yeah. Eight or nine. Eight, um, eight let's go to the Denver Broncos, Ollie. And Drew Locke has been named the starter. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
And this is the thing, they were obviously in the Aaron Rodgers. No, Teddy stage. was named the starter, wasn't he? Oh, sorry. Yeah, Teddy was named the yeah. starter. My apologies. Um, I like Teddy Bridgewater, but I mean, they were in the whole Aaron Rodgers sweepstakes because they do have a, a loaded roster on me. And so it's all about really the quarterback play isn't going to be perfectly consistent. So can the rest of the roster make up for that, specifically the defense? Yeah, that, that's the big question. Obviously, they get Von Miller back, which will be huge. And defensively, they are so loaded. That front seven is laughably good that they have the best safety tandem in the league. They have, as you mentioned before, you know, if Vic Fangio just happened to be 37, he would be called the most cool, innovative coach in the league. It just so happens Brandon Staley looks cool. And so Brandon yeah, Staley is the yeah. cool, innovative one. Yeah. Um, and Vic, it's like um, Belichick gets the genius tag for doing basically the 5-0 odd and 6-1 front against the Rams in that Super Bowl where they just demolished the, the McVay thing and Fangio and the Bears had run it months earlier and just mm. no one else seemed to twig onto it that maybe this is the way to go and they mauled the Rams in that game too. So they have probably the, the most consistent, best defensive mind in football at the moment with best defensive roster. Can carry you a long way. I mean, I I just I'm just not a Bridgewater guy. I know everyone likes him. He's got a nice story. They say he's efficient and stuff. I just think it, it's so tepid, you know. So what's wrong with Bridgewater? What 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 is the problem with him? I think he gets get ascribed abilities he does not have, namely the efficiency and the um, getting the ball out quick and all that. And people talk about him like, well, he just doesn't create enough explosive plays. Or when you watch him, he's not actually that accurate. And if he was more accurate, there would be way more. Uh, Go and look through his run, uh, run after the catch numbers. You know, if he was better at getting rid of the ball, he would be paid to Manning, who didn't have a good arm, and it would be well at least the balls out of Marvin Harrison can charge into space. You know, and, hey, and Manning didn't have a good arm. He had a he had a good arm. He didn't have like a an all world. Okay, right. So, and particularly at the end, I mean, when when Manning was in Denver, I mean, oh yeah, yeah it wasn't yeah. just that final year. It was all run after the catch, and it was all beating you pre snap and having creatures like the Thomases and that. Um, mm. but a lot of it is get the ball into space. Same with Matthew Stafford. We talked about this last week that there's almost like a delusion with him that because he has a great arm, everything's about the arm. It's more about getting the ball into space, letting guys go run after the catch. And Bridgewater should be that play. And when you've got Jerry Judy and Sutton and these pieces, you should see more of that. And you just don't. And I just, I just think he, I just don't think he's the player people think he is. Um, happy to be proven wrong this season. Um, mm. But he, he would still be in New Orleans with the starting job if you know yeah and james is there if he was available and sean payton has worked with him he'd say you know what let's go get teddy because teddy actually fits perfectly they've they've Mm. worked for years in new orleans without having a guy who can push the ball down the field they don't need that um so i know i'm just not sold on bridgewater at all i mean there's gonna be a massive discussion all season now about why did they not just take justin fields what's he what's bridgewater got over luck then in your eyes in luck well luck is the as a as volatile as it gets, you know, I just don't think he's a good player. I mean, I, it's a tough one for me. I mean, I savaged him throughout his college career consistently. So I just don't think he's good okay. at playing football. <laughs> you know, there's at least Teddy reads stuff well and does get the ball out. I think that, that some of it is, is overrated because there's not a clear physical trait. People default to the fact, well, he must do this then, right? If he doesn't do these things. Um, I think he takes too long to throw and stuff like that. Whereas Drew Locke just doesn't get rid of the ball quick enough. He's very, very, very inaccurate. So win total then for the Denver Broncos. God, this one's hard. Nine wins. So you're giving them more wins than the Chargers because of the defense. Yeah, I think so. I just trust. And them. then, but they're 
Well, their quarterback is Teddy Bridgewater and the Chargers quarterback is Justin Herbert. Yeah, to me, it's like, well... I hate to, I hate to boil things down like no, that, no, but no, it's no, just no. an I interesting juxtaposition. I feel like there's nothing that can let the defense down unless they get injured. The whole mm. thing is solid and they got the best defensive person in the league. Justin Herbert's offensive line is not very good. So he can just be let down by the O-line. They made the additions mm, you mentioned, Lindsley. They drafted Rashawn Slater. But asking rookie tackles to be good to me on this team, we've got the, the prime example. Garrett Bowles was about to get cut by the Broncos, and all of a sudden he's the best tackle in the league. Right? Like rookie tackles take time. This is the fact. Same with rookie tight ends. They're usually bad in their first year, and then there's an explosion in year two and year three. To bank on Slater coming in and saying, well, we're going to move you from playing outside to playing inside. Oh, wait a second. Can you go back outside, please? Because we actually think you're better out there. That always concerns me. Well, why was he bad inside then? What was the yeah. Is it the game too fast for him? So I don't even know where they're going to play him in the end. Um, we'll find out. So to me, I just think that Herbert could be completely undone by the fact his O-line is still not very good. Okay, fair enough. And you talk about tight ends like that. I was at the cricket and I was had my one fantasy draft that I have. And it was when the cricket was on and I couldn't get a signal in Trent Bridge and couldn't get the Wi-Fi to work for love and the money. So it went on to auto draft. Got Kyle Pitts. That's not hey, good that's then, not... is it? Well, you said well, <laughs> rookie tight ends. Yeah, well, yeah, but he is, I mean, he is the, the freakiest of all freaks. If anyone can walk in the league and be good, it would be him. But yeah, they, they do take time. It's just so much okay. to the position, you know. There is. Let's move on to the AFC North, the much-storied AFC North that people like to drone on about. Oh, bloody AFC North. Like the bloody NFC East. This is this is the one in the AFC that gets to me. It's like way oh, yeah, yeah. too much time. You could believe a team would bang on about their history and how that somehow makes them special and not just part of whoa, whoa, the 32 whoa, conglomerations. Whoa. <laughs> I see that jibe there at the Packers. Um, no, it's just the North is, is, a, is a collective. It's like the NFC East is a collective. It like... I don't know. There's like a mafioso thing about it that just it's it's all we talk about. And oh, we've got to still talk about them. Well, let's talk about them because that's what we're here to do. The funniest and part let's... about the AFC North is when they're getting to draft time and all the old guys come out and tell you that they, you know their QBs have to have big arms to cut through the Ohio air and just to play in the winter there and stuff. That's my favorite part. Let's start with the Steelers, um, Ollie. And the question you want to ask is, what will Matt Canada's offense look like? Which is interesting. What will it look like? And of I've, course, we're still in the we're still in the times of Big Ben. Yeah, um, but surely we, we're not. Surely he's not long for this league, Ollie. No, it's a really strange marriage because Matt Canada, for those who do not know, and you can go and Google him. I've written really long pieces about his offense dating back to when he was a, a coach at Pitt, and then he went to LSU and then moved up to the league. Um. It's it's the most extreme version of motion and shifting. It's like that the concept of motion and shifting taken to its logical extreme. They shift and motion on every play, and it's often completely redefining the formation. We come out in one, we get 15 seconds on the clock, and we completely move, and that's all part of the play call. It's not motioning to say like Brady, like, hey, will you move inside that guy so I can check what coverage it is? It's all part of the play, and it's, they call it confuse and clobber. We're going to run the ball a ton and we're going to move a ton before the snaps. You don't know where the ball's going. You don't know what the formation is supposed to be. And then we're going to ram it down your throat. That's the, that's the concept. Now this with Ben Roethlisberger, who does not like movement is like, give me as much time as possible to survey the landscape. Um, and I mean, pre-snap to, to read it and hot route and all that type of stuff. Um, it's a lot of hand signals and gestures. And but, I mean, when they had Antonio Brown in that, Antonio Brown had like five routes in the route tree and Ben mm. would read it and he got at, and that would mean Antonio yeah, yeah. do this, or he'd go like that, and it mean Antonio do that one, and he go sound got that, 
and he'd do it and they'd torch the league together. To, to try and square those two together is, is really unusual. And then you see the videos of Ben during the summer work and he cannot throw the ball anymore. That's that's really concerning. Their offensive line stinks. Um, I don't know. And then Canada came out and said, well, I'm not running my system. I want to do basically whatever Ben wants to do. I was like, well, weren't you that's brought in weird, to be the it? guy who like football's moving this way and you've, you've been ahead of the curve for 15 years and so... We're going to try but doesn't do doesn't Ben seem the ultimate kind of um, stuck in the mud luddite kind yes. of maybe in terms of if you are going to innovate and change you ain't going to do it with him. Uh, yeah, I, I'm with you on that. I feel like go back to Peter Manning and that final Denver run. Manning had the confidence and kind of the the courage to say, All right, I stink now. So let's play outside zone and I'm going to hand the ball off 35 times a game. And if I can complete mm. seven passes, we might win the Super Bowl. <laughs> you know, you can't imagine Ben sitting and having that meeting in the meeting room, can you? I, I imagine that Canada's no. going to be there and be scrapped head being like, none of this stuff is in the playbook. <laughs> We're supposed yeah. to move these two guys pre-snap and he motions back across for me. Why were we just in a spread set and you were dinking and dunking down the field? <laughs> I, I mean, it could, I mean, it could end up being the most wonderful marriage where they blend, you know, they fuse those two yeah. different doctrines together, and wow, we've got a new style in the league, and look what's happened, and that could happen. But I just, it's such a strange marriage. I, if you're just going to let Ben Roethlisberger run the offense, which is fine, you know, he, he's as qualified as any coordinator you would bring in. He's seen everything, he knows everything. Why would you not just get him either a friend or, or a cohort who believes the similar stuff to him, someone in the Aryans tree? who would at least just be like a nice sounding board and would go watch the tape and stuff to bring in someone with such a, such a conflicting view of the game is it's very, very bizarre. So the way you're sounding Ollie is that this could actually be a season where the Pittsburgh Steelers are not the Pittsburgh Steelers of old. This could be a down year, Ollie. I, I mean, it could be, I think defensively they have the best defense in the league. Um, there are thereabouts. I mentioned earlier on, that was on the show, wasn't it? The four, the four guys up front. That, I mean, that is, yeah, you did. Yeah, that is insane what they have up front. And then you got Devin Bush and Joe Schobert. I don't really like Schobert that much, but they trade for him. And he, I mean, I guess he's okay. Bush has been up and down the league, but is small and you can move around a bunch. You got Minka Fitzpatrick, Terrell Edmonds. That's flexible as you can get on the back end. They're okay at corner. So if you have the best pass rusher in the league off the edge in TJ Watt, the best nickel pass rusher in the league. And you can be really flexible on the back end. You have a chance to have the best defense in the league. And if, if they're that good, then they should be able to win seven, eight games um, if they can just get by an offense. But I would be terrified watching the videos of Ben, seeing the reports about Matt Callender. And then if I just ran through, if you go on our lads, the site and just go through the roster and look at the old line, I would be like, what mm-hmm. is happening to our team? Why, why are we terrible up front? Why did we let Villanueva waiver go? None, none of this makes any sense. It is concerning, isn't it? And it shows you, I suppose, what a defense is worth then by your win total. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. your defense can only get you so much. So I'd probably side with you around about eight wins potentially, but um, okay. Potential times of concern for Steelers fans, which is great because they've had enough good times. Sod them. Uh... The way to fix it is to draft the thumping ring back in the first round. Classic. Oh yeah. Steeler football. Yeah. yeah. Let's move on to the Cleveland Brown, Ollie, and another team that is the uh, flavor of the month and everybody wants to get on them. I've never been convinced by the Browns. Um, I've never been Baker Mayfield's biggest fan as well, if I'm being honest. But the is defense... That an, is that an off-the-field swagger thing? Is this uh, a, like you've been there before I... take from a new old man, middle-class Tom? Is that what this is? 
Well, you know, yeah, I've seen it all before with Scott Tolzien, and you know, <laughs> um, no, 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 I, I've got no problem with that. He's he's a hype man, and I like that. I'm just not sure. It, I'm not convinced. He, well, I, he's he's he is what he is. He's not got a high ceiling or a low floor. He is what he is, and and I think you know what you're going to get out of him. But I'm not sure that's going to be enough when it comes to the crunch to actually get them over the hurdle. Because then when you actually look at their defense. You know, you've put you put on here as our question to ask for the Browns: Can they muster the league's best best pass rush? This is a defense that's good enough to win a championship, not on its own, but it's good enough to be uh, you know that championship team's defense. But then I don't think it's balanced out effectively enough by Mayfield on the other side. That was that's just my view of the Browns. Yeah, uh, I, so, that, I, I, so they'll always be there or thereabouts, but it's not enough. Yeah, I think they're the most reliant on structure team of the real contenders. I think that that he you see the massive difference when Stefanski gets there and they're basically running Shanahan ball. And he does almost perfectly fit that Shanahan model of it is really efficient. It is get the ball out. It is a couple of explosive plays a game and then being able to move to create some stuff on the fly if necessary. Um, and what you need when you have such a team like that is everyone has to stay healthy the entire year, which they've not really had there, uh, unfortunately. And you have to hope the structure doesn't get figured out at some point, that there's some kind of breakdown in the structure and someone figured out in week seven and then they all run it the rest of the season. It's a bit of a problem. So I I don't know. I mean, I I prefer Mayfield to you, but I do think they're very, very reliant on the O-line, which is very good, but injuries happen. Players get bad instantly up front. It's, you know, it's a strange position. Um, And then they got to get those playmakers healthy and staying healthy. You got to keep Odell Beckham Jr. healthy. He doesn't have to be the Odell Beckham Jr. of all, but he has to be reliable and consistent. Jarvis, he is is an Ollie, though. That's the thing, isn't he? He's what? Sorry. Beckham Beckham isn't that player anymore, though. He's not that player. I'm saying, can he just be on the field at least so we can use him? That's all. That's all I'm asking for. Landry is good enough as an after the catch threat, where if Beckham is, I mean, Phelan's too good an example, but if he's the secondary guy off your explosive playmaker, that's fine. Um, and then, yeah, it's, it's defensively, as you mentioned. I mean, I don't know if they have a championship defense. I think Denzel Ward can become one of the best corners in the game. And if they take, if he takes that kind of jump, then obviously that transforms everything for them. But it does come down to those two guys off the edge, right? If, if Clowney and Garrett are both great, and I do think that they'll play Clowney inside a lot, but stood up, which is what the Texans did when he was at his best. And I think they'll pair them together a lot, which even if... Clowney's such a reputation player that even if he's not great and he's just very good, to have them together is going to wreck everyone yeah. pre-snap because everyone's going to be panicking. They're going to be sliding stuff. They're going to be like, well, we just can't go to the left then, can we? We'll have to figure it out. That's a massive pre-snap advantage for them just in the fact that he looks intimidating and he is great. No, true. So um, that I think, that, yeah, the, you could certainly see a case where they're in a playoff game in January and it's just Garrett and Clowney high-fiving at the quarterback on every drive and it's game over and Mayfield might not play great, but they run the ball solidly and you know they win 21 to 17 or something like that. I could see that. I, I do think they have the kind of formula that would get the Chiefs, which is run the ball really well because the Chiefs has built a pass rush only defense and they yep. get after the quarterback. So if you're looking at trying to make a playoff matchup to get through the AFC, I, I think they've built the right roster for that. It's just getting there and navigating that division, which is tricky. Um, and I've not looked at their schedule, but I do believe it's supposed to be tough. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. They're, they're a tricky one, aren't they? Yeah, I, I, and that's why I say I think they'll always be there, thereabouts, but I'm not convinced they've they've got what it takes to, you know, the, the ultimate objective. But I, I can see them winning 11 games. 
I, th- I think they make the playoffs. I think they play the Bills head-to-head again, and it's like a best man win situation who turns up on the day. Um, I- I'm going to say, should I make a bold prediction? I'm going to Go put on. them in the AFC title game. Ooh, howdy. Who against? The Chiefs? The Chiefs, yeah. Okay, who are you putting in the NFC title game, considering we didn't say that on the last one? The Rams and the Packers. And the Bucks. The Rams and the Packers. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Okay. Let's move on to the Baltimore Ravens. How will the Ravens' offense evolve? That's the question to pose here, Ollie. How is it going to evolve? What are we going to see? I don't know. Um, we'll find out, I guess. I mean, did you see these reports this week about the, the people telling ESPN, some coordinators or something behind the scenes, that they think that they will figure out Lamar Jackson this season? All that nonsense. I did not hear that. Yeah, it's one of the most bizarre background comments I've heard a coordinator make because if you are Lamar, how long has Lamar Jackson been in the league now? Four years? Five About years? That, yeah. It must be five years because of his contract extension. If you've not figured him out schematically, then why are you in the league? It's not that difficult. I mean, that, that stuff has been yeah. run now for 25 years. It's Stopping that stuff is not that hard in theory. It's the practicality. He's quicker than everyone else. You know, that isn't changing. Defending a zone read, which at one time was considered difficult, is it's been figured out. It's pretty easy. They spent a decade being like, "Well, let's just hit them really hard, and we'll meet them at the, you know we'll meet them at the mesh point and all that stuff." And it turned out to be shite because it wasn't structurally sound. And mm. they figured out, well, well, we just muddy up front, we keep our linebackers free, and they just float to wherever the ball is. Happy days. We shut down the zone read, stopping the power read. Their main thing is very difficult because you're playing power and your linebackers have to be get to, to very specific spots and you have to have two great linebackers. That is hard. But structurally, I mean, that is pretty easy. There's like day one stuff. It's the fact that, as I said, in the open field, you might have a great, like you might have Van Noy and Dante Hightower who are in the exact right spots on power read. And then guess what? He can shimmy shake beyond Kyle Van Noy happily. No problem. Yep. <laughs> so uh, I don't know. I mean, the, the implication seems to be they're going to evolve to more of this passing offense because they brought in all those receivers and stuff. But I still think it's like, Save that stuff for when he's 32. You know, run what you run. Mm. No one's stopping it still. You know, and I know they got bogged down a little bit last season. They did become somewhat predictable. And so if you can work in some more creative stuff, but I do think a lot of that is game week play calling. It's just having the right play caller, dialing the right plays up in a game week. And people get caught up in kind of the conceptual idea of it. Uh, Even if they... They look different this year in stretches. I bet all that stuff was in there last year. They just called it at the wrong time. I, I can't imagine there's something they would be doing this year that would be drastically different than they would have done last year. So do you have faith in the play calling? I mean, Greg Roman, I mean, is, is as good as it gets. And, and I do think that he'll they'll stick to this like pistol-based, advanced pistol-based system that they, they've built over time. Um I don't know. I mean, a lot of it is on Lamar, right? He, he misses open throws consistently. I mean, he's still yeah. efficient and he's excellent, but he does consistently miss open throws, particularly down the field. So, uh, and last year it was more about guys just not getting open for the most part. So, with, with bringing in the new pieces this year, hopefully the guys are more open. He hits more throws more consistently. I mean, uh, how is it on a coach to evolve the offense if the quarterback doesn't hit the guys that are open? No, totally. It, it, yeah, well, let's, I mean, see what happens with the Ravens, but uh, do you think they're going to be in the mix here in the AFC North? Yeah, I think the big thing for them is what does Bateman give them in year one? Can they get anything from Sammy Watkins? How good does he look? Is mm. he just going to be a takeoff guy or is he going to be an actual part of the system? Um, how do they split up between Watkins, Bateman, 
and Marquise Brown. If Marquise Brown can evolve into a real piece and, you know, he's one of the quickest receivers that's ever played the game and he's just not put it together yet in the league, those are all three turbocharged players. Which one of them is going to be the takeoff guy who just kind of takes the coverage away and you, you work underneath? Are they all three going to share the role? That could be exciting if, if they all blend together in this chemistry and, and they, they can all work in, in batches. Um, I think yeah, so I think the the big thing is chemistry between those three guys and Lamar this season. I know people are concerned about the, the pass rush and bringing in Justin Houston does help a little bit. Uh, I, I don't have any concerns about the defense. I don't think it really matters with them. I think they are a forty five point offense. It's like if we hit forty five, no one keeps up with us. No matter how good the defense is, and they're just built that way now. They're going to have to go to Kansas City and put forty five points on the Chiefs. That's that's their whole goal. So they have to spend all season figuring out how do we do that. Um, can they do it? Uh, I think it's a lot, lot to ask. Win total? Uh, what did I give the Steelers? I give them eight. Yes. I'll give the Ravens 11. 11. Mm-hmm. Okay. This is a, a, another competitive division. Um, Ollie, let's finish with the Bengals. And all eyes are on Joe Burrow. And all eyes are on him recovering from his injury and, and being back in the lineup this year. Can he be protected? Is he going to be efficient? Is he going to get the yips in there, my friend? Uh, oh, I hope not. I mean, he doesn't strike me as the sort of guy who would who would get yip yip type stuff. Um, although there were reports early in camp, wasn't there, that he just didn't feel comfortable and it? it wasn't quite gelling properly. Yeah, he did. Yeah, a bit hesitant. So I guess we see when the the real bullets start flying. I just for them, it's weird because they finally said like, hey, we're going to spend some cash in free agency. And they're all very excited about it. They all gathered around Mike Brown's bank account. He went and withdrew a couple of bucks and he said like, mm. okay, I'll give you some for once. And it just still feels like they've not done enough. Like they're a long way away. And you contrast it with the the Bengal, with a, sorry, the Chargers who are like, okay, this coaching situation isn't working properly. This Justin Herbert guy seems pretty special. Let's go get the best young coach we can. Let's go spend some money in Frazier. Let's go put some resources in the draft. And you compare it to the Bengals where everything always feels a little bit cheap. Always a little mm. bit cheap. And I don't mind the Jamar, you know, the, the big debate was Jamar Chase, Penny Sewell in the um, in the draft. And do they take the tackle? Do they take the receiver? You know, as well. I'm cool with them taking Jamar Chase, though it's been a bit of a mess in camp with the drops and stuff. I would have took Sewell too, because I, I just think that made more sense. I thought he was a better player. But I don't hate that as a, as a one-to-one thing. But if you're going to do that, you've got to pour a bunch of resources in in, in other directions, be it through trade, be it using a, a future draft pick to go and get Orlando Brown when he's available. Um, you know, instead of the Chiefs doing that, you go give up the first round pick for next year for Orlando Brown and give him the monster contract because you've got Burrow on a rookie deal anyway. It's that type of stuff where I, they just cheap out a little bit. And it's like, well, we'll pay Riley Reef, And it's like, oh, Reef is fine. But it's really not, it's not elevating to you to a place where Burrow would feel completely comfortable and the whole organization should be built around what makes Joe feel comfortable to throw the ball down the field. That's what he does best. Um, mm. they, they just, they still feel one or two years away for me. What about the rest of the roster, Ollie? Is it, you know, where would you put this roster at the moment in terms of its evolution on the way? Yeah. yeah. Average to below average. Like any roster, you got, you got pop-ups of, of talent with Trey Hendrickson and Bates on the back end, but everything just feels a bit meh. I'd say it's Man. a rather blah roster. They are. They've always been a bit like that. You want to? You want to throw out I a know, win I mean, total? The, the, those three Dalton years. Those, those teams were monsters. The, the, well, the de- oh, defensively as well. They were. They were fantastic. What was it? Geno Atkins and yeah, yeah, everyone. Yeah. 
Dunlap, and then their offensive line with Zietler and that was freakishly good. AJ Green, obviously. I mean, they had a two deep at one point that was by far the best in the league. I mean, they, they had tons of backups who would start all over the league, and they just didn't have the right quarterback, unfortunately. Um, yeah, what, what would I give them? I think they're gonna win five games this year, and I think Zach Taylor gets let go and they try and find a new a new coach for Burrow. I think five might be generous. But not two, but maybe one of maybe one game generous. That's not much more games you could lose when you're only winning five. Um, it's funny because we've we've given all these teams like good to competitive win totals. We've given no one bad, and now we move to the Texans and we get that. This is where all the losses are gonna. Come yes, in. this is where the ma- this is where the maths adds up, and it all starts to balance out. And you go, ah, they did calculate it. So let's go straight there to the AFC South. And the Houston Texans. Okay, let's lead off with a, a win total then on this rather than do it at the end. I think they... Hmm. I don't think they're going to win a game. I was going to say, I think 0-17 is really in play. What, what is throwing people right now is they look competent in preseason, semi, and they look like uh, it's hard <laughs> yeah you want to give david cully a chance because these guys waited like 30 years to be a head coach and it's like here you go <laughs> walk into the worst yeah. situation that anyone's ever i don't think there's a word other than if you were given the catholic church at the peak of all that shite there's not really a worse organization to walk into like a money more like hey guys we have a preacher running the front office and our quarterback's being accused of rape by 20 people <laughs> have a yeah. nice season <laughs> It's not even like the Lions when the Lions were terrible. I mean, they they had Stafford at that point, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, and they had assets. You know, the Texans yeah. gave away all their assets to get Lar- to pay Laramie Tunsil like he was, you know, Orlando Pace, and he's just pretty good. But that's a problem. You know, they obviously they that uh, Watson is under contract, so counting to the cap, but unable to play because of all what's gone on. They, they have this power dynamic where the owner who passed away his son really likes a guy who was a reverend. Yeah, he was, wasn't he, he was, on the Patriots? He was, yeah, the Patriots he was the chaplain. Pastor. He was yeah, there. yeah, yeah. Um, and now he's running the team with Nick Casero, who's from the Patriots cult as well. It's a bit like, what is, is happening weird, here? Yeah. It's really weird. And um, every other coach looked at it and said, absolutely no chance do I walk into that situation. And the only guy they could get in the end was David Cully. So it's, it's a real tough, I mean, and Cully, like I was going to say, he's done a, you, you have to say, as shit as the situation is to look semi-competent with that roster in preseason where they look well coached, but bad. So they're lacking talent, but they look like they know what they're supposed to be doing. That's at least our job, you know, congrats for that. But this has real massive two and 15, one and 16. I, I, I can't see two, two, two wins to me feels like Everest to this team, you know, and maybe, Owen Owen 17 is obviously really, really hard to do legitimately because, you know, any given Sunday and all that. But I think one would be a successful season. Two would be outrageous. And I just think they're just going to get munched by everyone. It certainly feels that way. I mean, is there any, that division isn't exactly stacked and maybe you could do something against the Jags if Trevor Lawrence isn't playing well as a rookie and stuff like that. And the only thing that's semi-competent there would be the O-line and that's not the worst thing to have in your building as being the decent piece, mm. right? Like if you're terrible, 
you'd rather have a decent O-line than that be like, we've got some good receivers because it would just not matter at all. But at least having matter, a decent yeah. O-line, maybe you could run the ball, maybe a guy gets open on a shot play and suddenly you've got 21 points and maybe you have a chance. But yeah, I don't know why we're talking about them. It's going to be a mess. Right. And honestly, a self-inflicted, I mean, the Watson stuff was not there their own self-infliction but a self-inflicted mess from the rest of it that this classic casario shite of like outthink i know more than everyone outthink the room i'm going to get rid of 40 guys in the roster because i know football better than everyone and hopefully they stink mm-hmm. i i i want them to be there in 17 yes. i feel like they deserve it um let's move on then to the tennessee titans ollie and obviously this is a team that starts with and ends with you know king henry uh, and Tannehill, I've heard, is injured. Or he's going to miss some time. He's on the COVID list. He's on the COVID list. So okay. is Mike Vrabel. I mean, I think they, as of last night, this is we're taping this on the 27th of August, Friday. So by the time this comes out, people will probably know more than us. But at the moment, I think they're up to 12 people on the five mm. to 10-day COVID list. So, God, at, at the very end of training camp, not what you want. Thankfully, you'll have done most of your install and stuff before that. But obviously, there's the health factor too, which is the key part. Um but yeah, this it's not not a great way to start the season. Well, this is again, this is about Derrick Henry, Ollie. And the question here is, does the NFL allow for a team anymore to be a you know single running back orientated team? You know, it makes me think of like Sean Alexander. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you know, it's it's when the it's Falcons ran like Stephen Jackson like three hundred times a season. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, who was the? Who was? Um, the Falcons had another back that it was just, although they did have Matt Ryan at the time. But I kind of think the guy that used to do the prayer thing. What was, was that his Freeman? Name? Did Freeman do that? No, I can't remember what his name was. Stephen Jackson's a good example as well. I'll, I'll, I'll come up with it in a minute. Anyway, tell me about the running game. Can it work? Well, this is the thing. I, I've read all these profiles this week. You know, Derek Henry's been doing ESPN, the magazine, and Sports Illustrated. And it's that exact question of, you know, can a, this body, this, you know, this majestic golden god, can he hold up in the league another time at this level? And it does just feel like we won't know until we know, right? But like, we'll get to week four one year and we'll go, well, I guess that's a wrap then. Doesn't seem like people are bouncing off him anymore. Doesn't seem like his legs are still churning. And I know that Ezekiel is expecting to have some kind of comeback because he's slimmed down and stuff this season. But you saw it with Elliot immediately, right? It's like, oh, they gave him that contract. It's terrible. Like, this is just what happens with running backs. It's You see it one week, you go, oh, yeah, great. And the next week, it's like, oh, it's a wrap. His, his career is not done. But being a guy who can carry an offense in the modern age, that's that's a wrap. So I guess we'll just know. And we know that the thing they've done quite well to inoculate themselves against that is, is build out that receiving core, having Brown, bringing in Julio, mm-hmm. adding Rogers in the slot. You know, they've kind of geared themselves up for, even if it's not quite there the same way, well, at least the pass game will open up the run game. Maybe he does see lighter boxes and he has just as good a season, but it looks different viscerally because he's not carrying guys in his back in these heavy sets and all that jazz. Julio's not, Julio's a kind of complimentary piece now, really, isn't he? He's not the Julio that he once was. No, what what he is now is like, he doesn't, you know, he used to be a guy who could, almost like when AJ Green was in his prime, where it was the size and the speed, he could burn beyond the safety and also rise up and get it when needed. Now he is just pure post player where it's like hit 10 yards, hit the sideline, put it anywhere in my region and I'll, I'll bring it in. And Tannehill is extraordinarily extraordinarily accurate in the intermediate mm. game which is where julio does his best work now i mean if you just went by pure metrics you just go efficiency and value to the team he still ranks out as one of the five six best receivers in the game because mm. he's able to guarantee 15 yards 
um, in that region is, is gigantic. And huge. Brown can be the guy who can be the real big, you know, 20 plus yard explosive playmaker, but the pro level doesn't quite work that way. Does it? You have to 15 yards is a serious explosive play at the pro level. So, I mean, he certainly complimentary, as you said, but if he was your number one guy, I don't think you would, even at this point, you would be that concerned. It would just be a case of in every off season, there's extra foot surgery to try and figure out whatever the heck is going on with those feet. And at one point, does he almost have, like I said about Henry, where he just hits the wall one season. It's like, yeah, he can't push off anymore. And, and he's done. Can I ask you about Derek Henry in terms of the pantheon of running backs, the past, how good is he? Uh, I mean, I, the thing that makes that conversation with him tough is the changing way evolution of the game, the volume of touches he's able to get. But if you just went by pure, you know, plug in any player in any era into any system. I mean, how can someone possibly be bigger, faster, stronger than that? Mm. It's like you have to go back to all footage of OJ Simpson to see guys where they're like, they can both maul over someone, then dance past the second guy, then maul over the third guy. And also the linebacker's dragging on his back as he as he breaks through. He's doing ones. it. Yeah. Mm. I don't know. I mean, it, it would sound hyperbolic to say, you know, not every player in your era can be the best player ever. So it's like, you know, people say Aaron Donald's the best interior lineman of all time. Patrick Mahomes is the best throw of a football ever. Would we also have the best running back of all time? If that feels like a bit of a stretch, but people did also live when the Beatles and Rolling Stones were going and they were the best bands ever created. So it does happen, I guess. I mean, I don't know. You have to say, right, comparative to the limitations of his time period, he's got to be right in there. It's just he won't have as long a career because guys aren't given that luxury anymore to, to have like the four years of basically being bad, but they can rack up numbers. Um, to, to ask someone in this modern era to carry our team deep into the playoffs is pretty extraordinary. It is. It is. You want to give them a win total, Ollie? I'll give them... Uh, I want to say 12 wins. Uh, that feels like a lot, but it's really not because there's five losses. So, and it, uh, they should wax the Texans twice and the Jags twice, which means you're at four. And the Colts have iffy injury stuff with the line and quarterback. So they could even win 13, 14. I mean, th- they really should be looking at themselves and saying, okay, we might have the best talent in the league overall. We're very good, but we should get the first seed given. Our division, given their situation, yeah, it's the a very Chiefs good point. Are, Ollie. What the Chiefs are facing versus what we're facing, we really should get the number one seed. I um, mean, I was thinking, I was thinking eleven, but now you're talking about it that way and what they're up against. Yeah, perhaps more than that. Um, okay, let's move on to the Colts, Ollie, because they are an interesting case. Actually, obviously, with Carson Wentz, but he's up and he's down. He's lying down on a medical bed and then he's not. I mean, um, they should. They they're the ones that can try and compete with the Titans for this mm-hmm. title. But is that even an unrealistic expectation, Ollie? I don't think so. If they're, if they're healthy, I mean, every, it's, you know, I know you can caveat that for every single team in the league. It's like, you know, everyone's going to get injuries. You have to stay healthy. If you just go there, the rest of their entire roster and the defensive line is really talented by bringing Buckner in, drafting P. Uh, their own line is as good as it gets. They've got receivers on the outside. They've got okay secondary play. Um, they've got one of the best offensive play calls in the league who is really good at switching it up re- week to week. And then you come back as of all discussions to the quarterback. And the big thing here is the health of the quarterback. And not only that, the health of the guard who is the best guard in the league. And they're kind of together. They seem to have the same injury, basically. Um, 
So that it's it's a really, really difficult one. If you end up having to play three weeks of the young lads, you're in real trouble. Eason and Ellinger, it's just they're just not at the standard needed to be competitive in the NFL. They say Wentz is going to try and go from week one, but that really feels to me like compromising a play who then you might have to sit in for three or four weeks from week four mm. on. And wouldn't you rather just get it out of the way and figure out where I you're agree. at? Where I agree with that. Following that, I would rather have him fully heal for the seven weeks and then say, well, let's just see where we're at and can we make a run to a wild card game or something? Yeah, I definitely wouldn't force it with Wentz. That does seem like a completely um, an unwise thing to do. In, in, in terms of Carson Wentz, do you think he's going to get a new lease of life, Ollie? I mean, the, the, only, the only possible way that happens is if you buy into the concept that Frank Reich somehow knows him better or they can wed that old Eagle scheme where he was having that MVP caliber year before Nick Foles stepped in but it wasn't that that scheme was gimmicky in any way it's not gimmicky it makes perfect sense you go there I put the ball there right on every single play we read one guy wherever he doesn't go we put the ball I mean, they all do that to some extent these days, um, but it, this is like explicit. Like it's, we're reading the mm-hmm. one guy. Um, they tried that after Frank Reich had gone. And you can say, well, Frank Reich calls better plays, has a better feel for the game, is a better sequencer of play calls. That could all be true. But also teams are pretty good at bracketing and faking stuff on defense in the NFL. You give them six months to try and figure out what to do. They go to every coaching clinic in the country. They ask every college coach and they have the luxury of going into Nick Saban's office and getting a seven hour tutorial of exactly how do you defend RPOs. So I, I just don't think he's accurate enough or consistent enough. And to try and say that somehow Frank Reich can scheme around that seems to me a bit, seems to be a non-starter. And the thing that really set him apart, at least early in his career, when he was still inconsistent, he was making bad decisions, was he could move around and all that stuff. And he had such good arm that he could rip 30-yard throws on the move in a way that few other guys could do. That's not really been the case now for a couple of years. He does look close to broken. Um, and I would have maybe bought into the rehab and all the hype had we not had this this situation where it's just another injury, and it feels like you're under you're on a you know ticking clock until the next one goes. Mm-hmm. No, I understand that. You want to give him a win total? Uh, so hard with the not knowing what the injury situation is going to be. I'll give him nine because I don't think he makes it through the entire season. No, I was going to say eight. I was going to say eight. So I think this division is the Titans division because we're going to finish with the Jacksonville Jaguars, who could, you know, be a surprise package, Johnny. But there's two stories here. Obviously, there's Urban Meyer and then there's Trevor Lawrence. Um, what are we going to get from the Jags? What are we going to get? And what are we going to get for Urban Meyer after all this time now? He comes into the NFL. What are we going to see from him? Uh, well, I... I... I can't explain to you, first of all, on a personal level, how irritated I was that I've been playing this newsletter and what have you. And so I've been pre-writing pieces for the launch. Like, I had this giant piece on Travis Etienne and how he features. Into what I was going to say, yeah, yeah, you must be pissed. Yeah. And offense. And woof, that one's a tough one to take when he goes out for the season. I, I And this is not just because I, I wrote that piece that now will not have to not service until 2021. Um but how important that move piece is in the Urban Meyer offense is so hard to describe to people that they use one guy to be the outside receiver, the inside receiver, to be basically a backfield blocker who splits across the formation and a running back and a receiver at the backfield. That move piece is used on almost every single play as either eye candy or to, to reset the formation or to get the ball. 
to lose that. They just don't have anyone on the roster like that now. Now they have the traditional, they have a thumper and they have a receiving guy. And it's going to, I don't know how he's going to try and figure that out. I don't know how they didn't go and get a third or fourth guy. I mean, Levetsky Chenault did some of that in college. Maybe they try and use that. But the difference is Chenault, though he can play a bunch of positions, he just doesn't have the speed. Etienne is so unbelievably fast. The point is to have Percy Harvin or Curtis Samuel, not just have a guy who can go into those positions, to be so fast as to freak safeties out. The, oh God, he's moving and he's quicker than us. He might apex us out, leverage us to the side. I really have to get over there and the ball's going the other way. You know, or the guy motioned out of the backfield, they, they, they do the check, suddenly he's on a deep over out and he's just quicker than everyone and it freaks everyone out. That, that you, you need that in that position. So for him to lose that, I think, is is devastating to, to what they were trying to do there on offense. Um, the thing that will help them is their O-line is excellent. Um, three of the five pieces, I think I mentioned earlier, they've not played in preseason. They've been rested. That They will be mm-hmm. back in time for week one. Um, so that's a gigantic help. And they'll, I think, have to become more of just a pound the rock run the ball team with uh, Lawrence taking some shots downfield. Um, don't don't love them really defensively. I think it's very average to bad. Uh, and I think it's going to be a pretty big adjustment for Urban Meyer coming up to the NFL um, and losing his key identifying thing, which is he plays with a move player on offense and most people don't. And <laughs> the guy's gone. What would do we expect from Trevor Lawrence as well? So, uh, you know, people would want to be hearing about this and, and the, the overall number one draft pick for the Jaguars it because it, he is was one of the most highly you know tap widely billed you know the highest regard held quarterback prospects since I don't know Andrew look I suppose what was your view on him coming out Ollie and then what do you expect from him this year he had the same lucky and type instincts and the same vibe if that's how you want to say that it. it's that exact same thing of just big guy big arm and can move um, and that very much in that Andrew Luck mold. The, the only question mark you would ever have is how easy it was for him. You know, he's playing with by far the best players in the country outside mm. of Alabama. But then as the competition ratcheted up, his game did step up too. So he has ticked every single box imaginable. You know, it's, it's a crapshoot. We always say that you never know how good they're going to be. Um, even Andrew Luck had his up and down moments. And that's about as surefire as you'd ever get. And he didn't end up winning anything in the end. Um, but this is about as nailed on as you can get. My big concern is the coach they paired with him. I just do not buy Urban Meyer at the NFL level at all. Why is that? Because Urban Meyer has always been the guy where, I mean, I have a personal things with Urban Meyer, which we're going to do now, but uh, there, his thing was always, he was out-recruited everyone. And he, he first of all, when he's at Utah, he out-schemed people with the spread, which now everyone runs the spread. Then as he, he garnered his reputation from Utah to Florida, and it was not about having a schematic advantage. It was purely he had the best players. You know, he went to Ohio State, he had the best players, and he would just club people every week running a, a, a horse's offense, as they call it, which is our horses better than yours. They're faster. Hmm. So he doesn't have, outside of that move piece, there is not some kind of schematic advantage he could have at the NFL level. Um, he's kind of a rah rah coach. Rah rah coaching does not work at the in the, the NFL. NFL. No. Okay. Um, so, what are we going to see in terms of wins from the Jags? Then, what do you think? Uh, this will this might sound hyperbolic, but pre Etienne, I might have given them five, uh, seven wins or something like that. But now I think I'll give them five. Five. Okay. Sounds reasonable, Ollie. I'll agree with you on that one. And that takes us to the end of the AFC, my friend. Another whistle-stop tour around 16 teams and 
I suppose we hope it's been educational. I'm sure the bits Ollie's been talking have been educational. I'm not sure about my bits, but uh, it's shaping up to be an interest. There's lots of there's lots of talking points. There's lots of different things to be intrigued with in this season, and hopefully as well, it's going to feel different because there's going to be people in the stands. Oh, it's such a massive it's a massive difference even in preseason. Yeah, huge. It it just it just the whole feel of it. Yeah, there was something strange about last year, and you wonder therefore then maybe some of the things that happened last year wouldn't have happened with you know, you know, fans in the stadium. I don't know whether, did, do you think that had a massive impact on away teams having less of a disadvantage with noise or stuff? I don't know. Yeah. Do you, do you buy into that or not? No, it always ends with Tom Brady holding the trophy. Oh, it doesn't, doesn't make any difference. You know, you can try and bat him for footballs. You could try and play in snow, play indoors, play with no fans. It always ends up with him holding the trophy. You can change teams. It does not matter. He's got a good roster around him, though. Let's, you know, let's not detract from that. Do you think if Tom Brady had gone to the Texans, he would have won the Super Bowl? I, I don't doubt that man anymore. The guy yeah. looks younger than me and he's almost 50. He looks the same age as Zach Wilson. Yeah, you see those <laughs> no. pictures of them together. It looks like they could have been frat bros. I know. You know what I mean? It's mad. It is bonkers. It is bonkers. Well, you, ladies, you have for this year then? Quickly, before Ooh. we go, I gave you my NFC and AFC championship game. I'm all in on the Stafford hype, as you know. Uh, I, I I do have a very strong feeling about the Rams. I, I really, really do. Um I'd like to because the 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 obviously being a Packers fan, you know, I'm always a bit of a homer. I, I would love Rogers to step out of whatever it is with the Packers if this is his last year. And I'm not convinced it will be. And if he wins the Super Bowl, I don't think it will be. I think it definitely won't be. I'd love the Packers to win. And I feel like they've been on the cusp of it now. That I still got a feeling about Green Bay, but the Rams, the Rams feel good to me. I just want someone to take out the Chiefs on the other side. That's <laughs> Uh, and then I'd feel feel happy about it, you know. Is there a um, say the Packers won it? Does Rogers in that instance does he do the I won it and double middle fingers to all of you because I did it and now I'm out? I wouldn't put it past and him. if but if he did do that, which is my impression of him is that he would do that, but does that not just not have an effect at that point? He's like, yeah, thanks, we won. See you later. It wouldn't matter. It would not matter because you'd be coming off and you'd be saying, right, now it's time for Jordan Love. We've got a title. Fantastic. You know, not everyone's particularly happy with Aaron Rodgers. Some people think he's a bit of a bitch, you know. So I, I don't think the pack, I don't think that would bother the Packers at all. Particularly if it was Rodgers that was, you know, it was clear Rodgers was the one saying, I'm done. Because then if you're a Packers fan, you kind of go, well, it, it, I, being a Packers fan, I kind of go, well, well, that's that then. I love Aaron Rodgers, but he is a bit of an ass. clearly. He's just got us another title. Fantastic. He's got himself a title for his legacy, which is good. But off you go now. Let's cheer for Jordan Love for six games. And then you go, right, where, where are we going to get our next quarterback from? <laughs> That's what I feel uh, like, too. I feel like he's almost laying the, the, the foundation of, like, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to shove it in their faces. Like, well, I feel like if you win it, you may as well just stay, mate. If he wins it and he doesn't stay, I think that tells you a lot about his character. And I think we've learned a lot about his, his character in the last 12 months um, because there's feeling slighted and, and, and using that as a motivation and there's being petty and vindictive and slightly childish, to be honest. Um, although to his credit, every time he's spoken to the media, he's been, because elo- he is, he is an eloquent, intelligent guy. You know, he's been eloquent. Um, he's put his case across well. Uh, but, but, you know, when you take a step back from it, it is a little bit icky. It gives you the ick. 
Yeah, the wearing of the t-shirt and then like the Instagram videos on other people's accounts. It's like, well, that's nothing to do with me. It's like you put that. T- so you had to get that t-shirt pressed and made somewhere or you ordered it off Etsy. Like, you know, you had to put your totally. card down to go and do that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, totally, mate. So, and then, but then, uh, so I like the Rams. I've got a good feeling about the Rams. I do still have positive vibes about the Packers. Um, and I think on the AFC side of things, I think we might see the Bills get to the Super Bowl. Oh, I'd love that. So if, I, if I'm rooting for any team this year, I'm rooting for the Bills. Okay, and and but your who did you call out? You called out your championship game, didn't you? Yeah, I had uh, who did I have now? I had Chiefs Browns. Oh God, I think I think it was Chiefs. I think Chiefs, it was Browns, Chiefs Browns, Browns Packers. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna go yeah. Rams Chiefs in the Super Bowl, and I would like the Ooh. Chiefs have it. I go Packers Browns. That'd be a nice one. For history. <laughs> yeah. but there you go. Well, Ollie, that's that. Okay, for the season preview of this Moore and Connolly football show special, I'm sure we'll be joining you again at some point during the season. We'll just have to figure out how that's going to work, but only if you guys want it, if you really want it. Tell us you want it. Tell me how much you want it. Um, but Ollie, again, you're going to be putting out pieces two, two, three a week, isn't it? And uh, people will be able to check that out. Where are they going to be able to find that again? Right where they'll listen to the podcast, thereadoptional.substack.com beautiful my friend beautiful it's been a pleasure as always it's been far too long um and we'll make sure it's not as long again before we talk so from now it's goodbye from ollie goodbye and it's goodbye from me have a great week